0: I'd like to start by asking you a bit about the background of the Guggenheim Museum. Can you tell us something about the evolution of the Guggenheim from a private collection to a public collection with museums in several countries? Sure. Um, Essentially, after Solomon R. Guggenheim
1: had established a foundation along with uh, being led by his advisor, Hilary Bay, there was a decision to begin to have exhibitions and to send them to various places to share the collection that he'd been amassing. And so and that ultimately led to the idea of establishing a museum. It had an early iteration in a former car dealership in midtown Manhattan, and ultimately there was a decision to commission a true um, temple of the spirit was the term that Hill of Hunry Bay used, and they, in that sense they chose the architect uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, mm-hmm. very famously, um, to design the what ultimately became the flagship museum, Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum on 5th Avenue in New York City. And essentially... There were many different designs, including one that's quite fabulous that was red, but ultimately, of course, the building is white, and it has this incredible spiral design, which really kind of reflected this idea that art could be something spiritual, could be uplifting and and transformational, that is related to utopian ideas in, in the early years of the 20th century. The museum actually wasn't completed until after the death of Solomon, after Hillifundry Bay was no longer with the museum, and also um, after the Frank Lloyd Wright was de- deceased as well. So in 1959, when it opened to the public, with no longer being the Museum of Non-Objective Painting, which was its initial title, it was retitled the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum. None of the original founders and, and engines behind the museum were, were in place. Mm-hmm. But essentially, the early years of the museum we're continuing to collect paintings principally. And then at a certain point under our um, second director, sculpture was added. And that was really with, with the work of Brad Cousy. For a long, long time, for about um, 15 years, it was really just the New York Museum. But in 19, in the 1970s, the collection that had been amassed by Solomon's niece, Peggy Guggenheim, in Venice, was um, gifted to the foundation and her home, which became which was also a museum, entered into the Guggenheim Foundation's holdings. And so the Peggy Guggenheim collection began the process of making the Guggenheim more global. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was further developed into the 1990s under the leadership of the current director of the foundation, Thomas Krenz, when um, he began the process, along Mm -hmm. with other members, of of course, of the foundation, to establish a museum in Bilbao, Spain. Also, um, around that same time, to establish a partnership with the Deutsche Bank, to run a space in Berlin, and then a few years on from that to establish the Guggenheim Hermitage Museum with the State Hermitage Museum of St. Petersburg within this Venetian hotel in Las Vegas.
0: And I realised that recently you uh, curated or co-curated the exhibition called Russia. What was your role in that exhibition?
1: I was the Guggenheim curator for the exhibition, but this was, as you said, a co-curated exhibition. Very wonderfully co-curated with Russians. They were all, all my co-curators were Russians. They were the deputy directors of the principal museums in St. Petersburg and Moscow, the state Trechikov, the state Russian, and the Kremlin Museum. And we worked together to basically amass the most comprehensive exhibition of Russian art ever to leave that country, Pieces that I don't think any of us ever thought would leave in our lifetime, um, really, they came to Fifth Avenue, and it was very exciting.
0: So that came from the Hermitage's collection specifically? Or Some online? works
1: did come from the Hermitage, but also from the major... Um, Hermitage is a museum of Western European art, and so that was part of the concept established by Thomas Krenz, the foundation's director, was that Russians have had an influence both in terms of the art they've collected, which is represented in the Hermitage's um, collection, and also in terms of the art they've produced, which is from the State Russian Museum in St. Petersburg, the State Trechikov Gallery in Moscow, and then the Kremlin Museum also, which which is a combination of Russian and Western art. And so that's that was kind of the foundation, is bringing together our partner, the Hermitage, and other friends who we've worked with on, ex- on exhibitions but had not done something quite so comprehensive.
0: And talking about the exhibition that we see here in Melbourne – This show is essentially uh, about art produced in the post-war era. The permutation must have been endless given the 20th century focus of the Guggenheim's collection. Can you tell us about your approach for the concept and development of the exhibition that we see here in Melbourne?
1: Well, we knew early on that we wanted to begin in the 1940s, and we were really fundamentally interested in some tensions, some dialectics. And I think that one of the ways we started thinking about it was discussing artists like Mark Rothko and Adolf Gottlieb that were working, and, and Jackson Pollock for that matter, who were working in both figurative and abstract styles at virtually the same moment where they were evolving from one into the other. And so I think that that was the beginning was to create that tension in that post-war period is on the one hand, wanting to reinterpret the body after the ex- sort of catastrophic influence of the war and, on the other hand, saying perhaps... Abstraction wasn't finished with the utopian experiments of the early 20th century, but yet they might take on a different form. And and in fact, in both figurative and abstract media, a very gestural expressionist mode that was current in the early part of the 20th century was revisited. And so since we're very rich in, particularly in Pollock and other uh, of artists of that generation, we felt that it was a very fitting way to begin because it both states what happened at that moment in art history, and it states what we made a commitment to. And and also, it's a moment where American art comes to the fore, where New York becomes the art center, which is quite an appropriate statement given that we have our mothership, our home base in New York City. And then also to begin that space to show how there were other developments in Europe that are often left out of the story like kinetic and optical art and the monochrome painting of the likes of Yves Klein and, and Fontana and Manzoni that certainly find themselves coming coming around in the painting of Americans later that we often refer to as minimalism. Um, Someone like Ellsworth Kelly, who was in Europe during that period, but that's often glossed over because he is seen as a sort of ancestor, you know, he follows on from his ancestors, the abstract expressionists. So that was a goal to kind of give a very strong historical basis for the show to start with something that really, it almost greets the moment where we're founded as a museum even though our artworks were from earlier periods, the, that is the time when, when this possibility of a museum of non-objective painting starts. And so it would seem quite fitting.